welcome to No Page Unturned, the podcast where Christina, Steph, and myself, Josh, go in-depth discussing books, mainly focusing on those written by BIPOC and LGBTQ plus authors. You don't have to read along with us, but be warned, there will be spoilers ahead. For season one, we're talking The Ruin of Kings by Jen Lyons, the first book in her series, A Chorus of Dragons. The three of us love this book for being anti-imperialistic, for its fantastic queer characters, and the unique ways it explores the fantasy genre. So please, come read with us. So, Josh and Christina, uh, can you guys tell me a little bit about the book that we're reading for this podcast, uh, the series, and the author? Well, Steph, I think uh, Josh was the one who did the interview mostly with the author, Jen Lyons. So if you want to talk about the author first, then I can maybe talk about the book, and then we can get into the first 10 chapters that we are discussing this week. Excellent. But I will say, I will say, so these books are published by Tor, um, who publish a ton of stuff and are super nice to Geekly. We have been very lucky to get our advanced review copies um, of these books because they are monsters, tomes, and we need the appendices. We'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah, if you're reading on an e-reader, there are appendices and footnotes. (laughs) And and it is important that you read them. Yes. Because I did not read them for the first book. And I was very confused a lot of the time. <laughs> Especially in order, because uh, Thurishar's footnotes are usually biting, like a lot of biting commentary on what is actually happening. Yeah. So there'll be like, there'll be like footnotes of Kieran saying a fact, and then Thurishar breaks in saying, no, that is not true. Absolutely <laughs> not, yeah. <laughs> it's a really interesting uh, look at the unreliable narrator. And uh, we'll get more into it in a bit. I have not read all these books. I've read the first two and I'm on the third. Uh, Josh and Christina have read all of them. Um, In this podcast, we're going to be just talking about the first book, The Ruin of Kings. Um, But we will be doing full book spoilers. So if you haven't read The Ruin of Kings, just beware that we're going to be referencing the sort of totality of the book. But they're not super long, like... They read fast. They don't feel they're, 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 yeah, they're, they're, they're very long. cinematic. If you're if you're reading along and you don't mind brief spoilers, if you're reading along, you also probably won't know who we're talking about some of the time. So it's probably yeah. going to be fun. Yeah. Anyway, Josh, you have comments to make about the authoress, which is a word I'm sad fell out of fashion, even though it is gendered <laughs> AF. So yes, Jen... Is it Leon's or Lions? I'm pretty sure it's Jen Lions. I've always said Lions. Uh, that would be my guess, but if you want to be more French, I feel like no one's going to stop you. Jen Lyon. Jennifer. So the author is from uh, Atlanta, Georgia, where she lives with her husband, three cats, and a nearly infinite number of opinions on anything <laughs> from Sumerian mythology to the correct way to make a martini. Before she wrote fantasy books, she was a video game producer. All of things, all of the things that we support here at Geekly. I was gonna say, so she is Christina. If like your life had just gone a little bit differently, ouch. <laughs> no, in a good way. <laughs> like if you were more into video games and like had an extra cat or two. Yeah. 
And she does mention uh, knowing a lot about uh, Dungeons and Dragons, which I feel like a lot of modern fantasy authors can trace their roots back to Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, it's either you've read Lord of the Rings or you read Dungeons and Dragons. And I guess the next crop of authors will probably have read, uh, you know, A Song of Ice and Fire and more Dungeons Mm. and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons 3.5. That's where we're starting from. (laughs) As long as it's not fourth edition. Yeah, I was going to say, once we get to the generation of of fourth edition writers, we're in for a trip. Yeah. It's going to be very meta. The Ruin of Kings is actually, which I found surprising, is her first, like, her debut novel. Really? Yeah, I I thought she would have, like, the way, how good it was right away, I thought she would have had previous work out there, but nope, this is her debut. It's far back in the land of 2019. Wow, good for her. Yeah, it does not read like a first book. It is no. extremely accomplished. Like, the audacity you need to have to be like, no, I need eight appendices and a glossary. Yeah. And you're going to print it. My first book is going to be uh, the first of a five novel series that are all, yeah, very extensive and interconnected. And there's time skipping and wanting like and narrators and like it's yeah that's ambitious for your first book also but I'm she did set it well. up like memento in that part of the book <laughs> part of the book is like memento it starts from the middle and radiates outward and yeah. the other part goes in a narrative line from beginning to end and then they meet in the middle it's like th- this is some ballsy shit yeah yeah, and not only like tells you a lot about her writing, but her ability to probably edit her own work before mm-hmm. you know bringing it to the publisher. That she was able to, with the first book and the second book coming out, then like I think like six months of each other, wow. that uh, she was able to match not only these uh, different timeline chat uh, stories within the book, but then match it with a whole other book. Yeah. yeah, she must have a, a big string board at her house. Yeah, like the, the Charlie Day. Uh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's like Mulder levels of like, oh, it all connects. Yeah. So yeah, Jen Lyons seems super cool. Yeah, maybe we'll talk to her one day. Maybe she'll deign to grace us with her presence if we are able to do justice to her books. We're going to go approximately 10 chapters per recording which is you know somewhere around the 100 uh page mark or so um so it'll probably take like seven sessions i would say i want to get into the why don't why don't we start actually from the series title a chorus of dragons because it combined with some of the promotional material on the first book i was definitely like no thank you this is this is dragon generic, more fantasy. It's six hundred pages. I don't have time for this. And then I got a copy anyway, and I was like, "All right, let's see what's going on." And then I was I was very very wrong. So I will admit that freely right here is just like, don't judge a book by its ice of fire of dragons. Yeah, it's, it's title. current uh, era of fantasy covers, right? Yeah, it's yeah, it's funny because it is it is a story that turns a lot of fantasy tropes on their heads. It, it's so smart about doing it yeah. too. It's like, what if Tolkien 
but gay people and race <laughs> and gender. Let's look at all the things that actually impact our world now. And, you know, A Chorus of Dragons, I have also read so much fantasy in my life that, like, that title doesn't mean anything anymore. It might mean something to the next yeah. generation of people. And so, like, I could just be the outlier here, but, like, I definitely mm-hmm. was like, all right, well, we're just going to put this in a pile with friggin' every other dragon ships, bones of the dragon, dragon time, time of dragon lords. Now, I would say, like, the verb of noun is very much a, a trope in titling right now. And whether that was something that she wanted or maybe something that, like, Tor was like, no, this is, this is the kind thing. of the structure that we're looking for. And, uh, yeah, like... I, I, I mean, God, I would love to just talk to somebody who's in book marketing right now at all. It's like, how do you market? Oh man, you know this. We should this get my friend novel. Lauren on this podcast. Ooh, yeah, that'd be good. Okay. Like, yeah, how do you market this novel, which is very much not a traditional fantasy story, but contains elements like has dragons and magic and, but like, how do you market that? Like, do you market it as different? I mean, clearly they've gone. I think for something here where it's like. Uh, they're hoping that you're just like, ooh, a dragon story, gimme! And yeah. then, then you realize that it's different. I feel like putting dragon in your series title carries so much weight that it's you, you probably have to decide, oh, will someone pick up this book because it says dragons in it? Or will someone put this book down yeah. because it says dragons in it? And I, I, it, It'd be fun to ask her if she had any other... Mm. Uh, series titles that maybe did like when she brought out the tour they're like maybe something else yeah like if they kind of like mass marketed it more yeah and I don't I don't want to like full on come down with the hammer of criticism on the marketing department because again like I'm the outlier Um, but it it would be super interesting to see like how she conceives of it versus like how it's being conceived of yeah. Yeah, I like I wonder if it's is is throwing a dragon and like a symbol on the front of a book the equivalent of like in the Twilight era where like every YA novel had like a black background and like a red object on it. Right, you know? exactly. This 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 cover is extremely Game of Thrones. It's like yeah, it, oh, yeah. you cannot even argue. It's like, oh, it's just one dragon head instead of three. Well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I gotta get back to the days of like eighties and nineties where you had like a full like painting of a scene and it was completely inaccurate to what was actually going on in the book. But like, yeah, it was some like, of them were super cool. It was like something you'd find on like a DM screen, you know? I would love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like almost Harlequinny. Oh yeah, so much so much tits. Even the original covers for A Song of Ice and Fire have the... Yeah. yeah. It's like characters drawn that don't look anything like what no. the characters actually look <laughs> like. like. John Snow's a 40-year-old man. But it's, <laughs> like, it's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of complications going on in this cover, and, yeah. but now it's just like symbol, name, yeah. you're done. Of, yep. in place. Yep. Verb of noun. If I... If I could light a concept on fire, it would be that concept. It's just the naming convention of, like, <laughs> the X of Y and Z. I just... Please stop. <laughs> well, it's please. funny, too, because I, I, I do almost feel like she was... Pro- at least in the name, maybe she was angling that way. Because the things that are the titles of the books are, are things in 
the book, if that makes sense. Like, the Ruin of Kings is a thing in the book. You know, it's book true. two, the, um, the name of all things, is an object. Um, at least so maybe she was that. playing with that a little bit. Yeah. I like that a lot, at, actually. At least... That's the minimum threshold, though. Like, at least you don't yeah. have the abstract title that a lot of YA books get, that it's like, <laughs> the mistress of diplomas and dogs. I'm sorry, I'm looking at Steph's would, background. Oh, yeah. What would the fucking YA title of Bruno Kings be? Um, <laughs> it just needs one more. It, it Like, I don't know, like the son the of hawks and... Of- yeah, oh yeah. Son of Hawks <laughs> and Son of Hawks and Confused Sexuality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this book does a great job of of introducing a lot of the sexual concepts, uh just without preamble and without apology, mm. which I love. Like there's just oh, an yeah. asterisk in there that's like this group of people like start out life as male and end up life as female, and you're just gonna have to deal with it, and I don't care what you think. It's like Yeah. Tell me more. Yeah, one of the things I really like about um, these books is, like, there's very rarely, uh, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of, like, biology swaps, like, body swaps and people changing genders and things. And when it comes to parentage, it almost never matters, like, which was, like, the male parent or the female parent or, like, who started what way. And then, like, it doesn't, biologically, like, it never matters, really, like, what parent was what to whom I don't know, the pitcher yeah. or the receiver, you know? It's also great because there's the tacit acknowledgement that, like, I don't really care who your parents were or what their genders were. They screwed you up. Let's talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's also fun to see Kieran go through the sort of culture shock of discovering all this, as, you know, we're discovering all of this. But Kieran is sort of, because he's grown up in this, uh, greatest empire ever that he's like oh man this is like an entirely different world and i'm sort of uncomfortable with it but then he grows to understand it better and realize how small his world was yeah like he thinks he knows a lot about the world and and we learn really quickly like especially having read the whole book you realize very early on, like, oh, Kieran doesn't know shit. He's been sheltered and protected his whole life. Like, anyways, well, anyways let, let's get into the chapters. So we did chapters one through ten this time. So, Steph, you, did you reread them or did you just read them recently? I did. Oh, wow. Okay, I did so reread them. Are... Yeah, because I wanted to read them with the footnotes this time. Fair enough. <laughs> so, yeah, for the basically the structure of these books is you have two different narrators who are telling a story. They're telling different parts of the story, but you also have uh, ostensibly a what? What would you say a writer, a compiler? Yeah, somebody who's like, yeah. yeah, somebody who's take who's taken the stories and put them together, but is also adding their own footnotes. Um, and in this case, uh, this person is Thervishar Dolores. Dolores? Is it a D? Is it a hard D? I think it's probably yeah, a French it's D. Del- it's Dolores. D- Dolores? Okay. He, he, you know, and we'll meet him later in the story. Um, but basically, yeah, so you have this unifying element of the narrator and the footnotes. But if you're like me and your e-reader doesn't show the footnote little asterisks really well, you might miss that and be more confused. I still enjoyed the book. Like, I will say that's probably a, a, a good thing about the book, is you, if you miss the footnotes somehow, you can still enjoy it. You're just more confused. 
Yeah, there'll be some people that read it and maybe just not even glance at the footnotes because that might be a little overwhelming. But can we just talk about the very first page? Like, it already establishes where uh, Dolores is sending his letter to the, uh, uh, Your Majesty. Um, it already establishes just on the first page that the capital is burned. There are two characters telling the story that were pivotal to that burning. And someone, one of the characters, is the Lord Heir. And just for, that's just page one. So that automatically sets my brain going, what the hell is about to happen? <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because then you almost, like, I don't know if, if you guys did, but, like, I, like, forgot that by the time I got yeah. to the end of the book, you know? Like, it is, it, because I get, like, these books are so dense and you do get, especially in those first ten chapters, you get a lot dropped on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is impressive the way that you could forget something that, important i feel like so there are a number of books that try to do the footnote thing to varying degrees of success and this i i didn't forget so much as i was just like yeah 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 okay give me the story because Mm -hmm. i was like all right disaster we'll figure it out um but i didn't realize how important they would be as main characters both the the mysterious your majesty and uh because Thurvishar is... I thought he was just going to be the snarky footnote guy who's sitting in a scriptorium somewhere yeah. being like, mm-hmm. I have opinions. I've never left the library. But he's super important and it's kind of important to pay attention to that and I totally biffed that one. Yeah, he he becomes a main character. And a super great one. And one of the things I was talking to you guys about, how, how I kind of felt like I missed out on learning who he was as a character because I didn't read the footnotes. Like... I was fine finishing the first book, not having read the footnotes, but now like two books later, I feel like I don't know this character and he's a main character. So that's probably like one real big downside of not having read the footnotes. Um, so I'm actually looking, I'm looking forward to rereading this with you guys and getting a better sense of who Thurshar is um, because he is a really interesting character and he's, he's a good, well-rounded character and it's interesting that you don't get to know him in a typical fashion. You mostly get to know him through the footnotes. Yeah, and he is a character who just kind of... He's very removed, but you get a sense later on when he actually like shows up for real in the narrative that mm-hmm. it, it kind of implies more things about the plot than you thought were previously possible. You, there, There's some moments of like narrative friction when he he shows up versus when he's just kind of like commenting from afar. So yeah. this, this book is really, all of her books actually are really big on narrative friction. They're like, here, let me tell you the same story from two different points in time in that story. One of which will be first person, one of which will be third person. And then there'll be footnotes on all of them snarkily commenting from a third perspective omniscient. It's just like, you know, hi, do you yeah. have an MFA? Fuck you. <laughs> I never thought about that before, but a much weaker author switching from points of view oh like it that could it could be yeah. I never realized how bad that could have been. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a real testament yeah. to her writing that you didn't even notice. That's like it's seamless. Yeah. It really is. It's it's helpful even too because so yes, she swaps around in time a lot, 
And the way she chooses to tell the story actually helps that because so you have um, the third person uh, points of view, like the Talon points of view, those, yeah, those are in the past. And then anything in first person, you know, is happening in the present future. So it, she's doing two weird things with the narrative, but because she's doing them together, you can link them together and it helps make them more understandable. So like, yeah, you might not like remember all the names or things, but you at least know, okay, if it's happening in, if, if what I'm reading is in the first person, then I at least know it's happening in this time frame. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good, like instinctive way to locate yourself time-wise in the text instead of grappling with, you know, someone doing something kind of like fancy and show-offy. It's just like, we're just going to jump around. It's like, this is not a pinter play. This is a book about dragons. Shut up and like yeah. do it. But yeah, I love the first line too. It, it tell me a story. It's like it's a very you know it's a straightforward opening line. It's not like it's not trying to play around. It just it's a good authorial sort of self referential. I'm gonna tell you a story. Mm-hmm. And like we have nothing else to do. Yeah, yeah, and it, yeah, and you like you like Josh was talking about this the other day. You were talking about how like the the first couple paragraphs really center where you are what's happening and like the stakes of it all yeah and it doesn't pull any punches it's like you know hey monsters prison torture just you know let's let's not pretend that this is going to be something that's small scale what did you guys first think of talon when she's introduced in this chapter in the very opening chapter because i found her terrifying Oh, yeah. And, like, a little confusing, I would say. Just because she's just like, yeah, I'll probably kill your parents and wear your mom's intestines like a belt if you don't do what I want. Yeah, yeah, it's not not even Kieran's description of uh, what kind of monster she is that uh, is terrifying. It's the uh, exactly what you're talking about, where she says... I haven't taken everything from you yet, but I could. (laughs) And that part is chilling to me. That's a really good line. I don't know. I found her kind of funny. (laughs) I love Talon. (laughs) Talon's fucking great. I love that she calls everybody ducky. It's so great. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I love that this book doesn't skimp on the humor. So many books take themselves Mm. so seriously and it's exhausting. Oh yeah. I agree. Yeah. These books are hilarious. And I, I feel like, those books that do take themselves too seriously forget how much people use humor to mm-hmm. deal with stressful situations. Exactly. Or just how funny stressful situations can be inherently. It's oh, yeah. just like, this demon threw you into a wall? That's <laughs> kind of like, you know, your proximity determines how funny that is, but it is kind of funny. Yeah, like even like, you know, this line here, it's like, Tal- uh, Talon says, aren't you bored too? And Kieran's like, when they return, they're going to sacrifice me to a demon. So no, I'm not bored. <laughs> like, it's very dry. And, uh, but it also sets down what's happening. Like, shit's not going well. Uh, and then, and then, yeah, once you launch into the story, then it's, it's very much like, well, how did I get here? <laughs> like, it's, yeah, it's, not, it's, it's like the freeze frame, like, you're probably wondering how I got here. 
That's true. I I did think of that. The you know the record scratch freeze frame. You're probably <laughs> yeah. wondering how I got here. Yeah, totally. <laughs> now this is a story all about how Kieran's life got turned all upside down. <laughs> he kind of he's the Fresh Prince of Kerr. Oh god, he is. He's the Fresh Prince. Oh, no. and Lord Air. It even rhymes. Oh. Yes! Oh my god, okay. Maybe if I if I remember, I will rewrite that for the next time we record. And it if will we be get great. And that's how we're gonna get your lines on the show. Yeah. We're gonna we're yeah. gonna rap for you. But nineties old school Will Smith rap. Big Willie style. Uh but also before we move on to the next chapter, I I love how she gets those old fantasy tropes out there right away by Talon just being like Oh, I'm talking about your real parents. So we're already, already just get it out, just get it out of the way. Kieran's parents, who we're about to meet, are not his real parents. Just like yeah. get it over with. Let's not have any mystery about it. So then, when the real mysteries start coming into the book, you're not thinking about who's who's Kieran's parents, though. Yeah, you, and, and you especially because. At this point, they're already referring to Darzan as his brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not and that then, you like, understand but, what that means, but yeah. And you don't. And like for the oh. first like half of the book, we don't think that Darzan is his brother. And you meet sweet little Galen. And it's like, what? It's, yeah, like it's very smart. Like it, the way she disguises certain aspects by how people refer to each other is is really smart. Like, like I said, like you learn so much about what's happening and the people in these books in these early chapters, but because you don't have anybody's names, yeah, it doesn't like in, um, uh, chapter seven, uh, Kemezra and Kieran are like having a heart to heart. And she talks about like how, what just an absolute piece of shit Darzan is, but because they only refer to him as pretty boy, you still haven't met Darzan. And so like when you you learn about what a terrible person it is before we've even like met him. Yeah, it's yeah, it's and like it it's rereading these is like oh. <laughs> <laughs> I never made that connection about uh, them mentioning the brother in this chapter, and then but never mentioning Darzan by name. So I was like, yeah. if I had paid closer attention, I would have been like, is Gale the bad guy? Everybody <laughs> has. Has, like three names because there's like or you know you it's like family relations and then like in in chapter two when Kieran goes to the house and he so he sees who we learn much later is yeah. Darzan and Gadrith uh and and Zaltarath. Like we only know them as Dead Man and Pretty Boy for a really long time. Yeah. Especially Gadrith. Like, I don't think you, he, like, is, like, you don't even realize that he is the main villain of the book until, like, two-thirds away into the book. He's got a lot of competition, to be fair. Yeah. There's a lot of <laughs> like, bad shit in this book. Like, generally, I, I was reading it, and I was, like, expecting the bad guy to be Darzan the whole time. Yeah, that's fair. I can, yeah. Mm-hmm. But that, yeah, that's, that goes along with the parent thing. It's like, you set up all the things that you think are bad, and then, whoops, no, here's the rug, we're gonna pull it out, and then mm-hmm. there's another rug, and we're gonna pull that one, too. Yeah, yeah. And then I like, Josh, what you said about the parents, too, is just kind of like, just so we're clear, we are not fucking around. These are, here are all the tropes. Here's, like, all of the fancy, like, house politics and, 
all of the, you know, all the extreme stuff that George R. R. Martin takes, you know, four and a half books to set up. And then she's just like, no, we're not going to hide any of it. Like, it's not it's not hidden. You just won't notice it. It's like, it's a very, it's a thing that I really love in horror and I'm glad to see in fantasy. It's just like, things are scary and intimidating and cool when you know what's going on. Like, mm-hmm. she doesn't have to hide anything because she's creative enough that there's more stuff to come. It's not like... And then I'm going to Da Vinci code this chapter right in the middle of the action sequence. <laughs> yeah, something that I really like about these books and and was not quite in the chapters that we're covering today, but in general, like the gods of this world take a really active role in, oh, for sure. in yeah. fucking around with things. And like they're they're around. They're just like walking around for the most part. And uh, I kind I kind of like that because so often in fantasy novels the gods or spirits or whatever kind of all bigger powers are aloof and not don't really feature into the plot at all whereas like here like they're all very human and they're fucking around and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't it's a very like norse like greek god system where yeah also the gods are just as like Broken, weird, obsessive, and horny as everyone else. <laughs> that could be also her connection to D and D, because I feel like a lot of D and D gods will just be like, "Hey, I'm here. <laughs> what up? Here, here you go, Paladin. Here's some powers. Yeah, go fight my enemies. It's it's still like a godly relationship. It like in D and D, it's still like supplicant and mm-hmm. deity. It's not just like the Greek gods were like annoyed that you're prettier. Yeah, and like pretending to be an animal to fuck you. <laughs> you know, that normal thing that somehow happens in all this. Classic. So I would say the first chapter, starting with uh, the the, Kier- the Kieran story chapters, uh, we find out that Kieran's being sold as a slave. He gets so- he gets sold to uh, Simvane uh, from the Black Brotherhood, which is like the Church of Thana slash yeah. assassins. Yeah, the death goddess assassin cult yeah which sounds rad as hell i don't know why he doesn't want to get sold to them to be honest it's so weird why so anyways they buy him for an exorbitant price at the slave markets they outdib a guy named relos var for him uh for like he's i think his price starts at ten thousand and goes up to one million it's ridiculous yeah and it starts at ten thousand because of the horrible concept known as geishing yeah uh where you know when I first read this, uh, slavery is like one of those things where I read in fantasy and I'm just like, I don't know if I want to continue. Yeah. And then, you know, people on the internet will be like, well, it's, it's part of our history. Ugh. And I'm like, yeah, but Ugh. it's not real. Yeah. There's also not dragons in the yeah. real world. So I, I feel like and we'll get to it later on. But I feel like the what happens with Geishin towards the end of the book kind of really saves it. Yeah. Even though this chapter doesn't take place in the Empire of uh, Quar, uh, it establishes how horrible this place really is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Kieran is geished. Uh, so people who are geished, basically part of their soul is like eaten by a demon and uh, they have to obey whoever holds their geish. So when Kieran is bought, he is geish, but he also has something called the Stone of Shackles, which we learn a little bit more of later. 
Um, basically, they end up back on the same slave ship that he was brought there on. Uh, we learn that if you if somebody holds your geish and gives you an order and it contradicts with a previous order of somebody who held your geish, you will just die. You'll you'll kind of uh like a computer, you'll blue screen out. Yeah, you get caught in a feedback loop and die. Uh, that doesn't happen to Kieran because he wears the Stone of Shackles. Uh, and then we have a huge info dump chapter where he talks to Kemezra, and she is very honest with him about a remarkable amount of things. She talks about like her relationship with her son, who's dreamy, uh, who's a uh, tariff. Uh, who, yeah, is super dreamy. And super male, which makes Karen confused. Yes, yes, he already has feelings. She <laughs> talks about, like, relationships with gods and stuff, because Kieran is like, my fucking goddess, because he worships the goddess of luck, my fucking goddess betrayed me! And she's like, uh, no, she saved you. If you had been taken back to Kur, you'd be dead right now. Uh, so maybe, maybe have some respect, boy. She drops a lot of knowledge. Yeah, you learn a whole bunch of stuff about uh, Pretty Boy, a.k.a. Darzan, about how he just buys whores who look like Kieran and murders them horribly for fun. Uh, but we don't know who Darzan is yet, so that's just something that we file away. And... Yeah, they're on a boat, motherfucker. Uh, and then on the other end of things, uh, we see slightly younger Kieran, uh being a sweet little Aladdin type in the capital city of Kerr. He is robbing a house that is supposed to be empty. It's very not empty. Uh, there are uh, two people in there torturing Avane. He, he calls them pretty boy and dead man. They sacrifice this Vane to Zaltaroth to do something. They're trying to find out where the Stone of Shackles is. And I like the way demons are like, the the way she writes them with all capital letters and the mm. the asterisks around them to make it seem like oh this is otherworldly this is ethereal this is different yeah, from normal speech it's not just a voice it's like it's the screaming inside your own head and it's happening real yeah time. yeah uh, we find out that Kieran uh, has a is a musician or is, really he's brought up as a musician by his father who is blind. And they live in the back of a whorehouse. Uh, we get, because for this part of the story, we're in Talon's perspective, she has that omniscient thing going on. So we actually learn some weird things about Kieran. Like, there's this whole thing where, um, Sergia, is that the how you say the dad's name? Uh, Sergia. Sergia. So Sergia is, like, talking about how, like, in six months, all of Kur will find out what a man Kieran is. I was like... What was supposed to happen? I read that this morning. <laughs> and I was like, what is what is he hinting at? As someone who's read all three books that are out so far, I still don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm I'm just guessing that that is sort of another allusion to like your classic hidden prince fantasy story, right? And that like when Kieran turns 16, you know, he was going to be presented as, "Oh, you're actually this long-lost prince." And and presumably, like, Sandus, the Emperor, was going to play a bigger role in that. Mm. Um, but everything went to hell, literally. Yes. But yeah, I think that is just maybe her playing with another trope where because you see this thing, this thought in, in Serge's head, 
you're expecting something to happen, and it very much does not happen. Also, it's uh, horrifying each time a chapter begins with another point of view, knowing that Talon ate them. Yes, or like spent, and they they clarify at one point that sh- she spent, she can know some thoughts of people she's just hung around with a lot, yeah. which is why she has Karen's viewpoint viewpoints. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, and I mean, in the interstitials, too, like, she's talking about, she's like, no, Sergio loves you so much, he's part of me, oh like, my God. don't you want to be together with him forever? Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> she's a very, she's such a cool monster. I don't know, yeah, have either of you read her. Gene Wolfe, like, the book of the new son? No. No, okay, there, there's this, uh, monster called the Alzabo, and, uh, it, it speaks to you in the voices of the people that you love to lure you outside and eat you. Ugh. It's like the worst possible monster that never made it into like common canon. It's not like Dracula, but I wish more people knew about it. And I hope that Talon will kind of like get more into larger canon because it's so creepy to to not just like cannibalism is like it's almost normal now. Like how often it shows up on like CSI. She's like, oh, the cannibal killer number four. <laughs> Whereas, like, this is like, and then it takes the form of the person that you can't deny anything to and yeah. ruins your life. It's like, oh god. So even though I like Talon, I think I think it's mostly Talon's like, great. I respect the villain. Yeah, we learn a little bit too about Talon when Kieran is spying on Pretty Boy and Dead Man because Pretty Boy Darzan basically says something along the lines of like. Talon can't Im- imitate all of my family members. Like, I can't keep killing a family member every time we need to summon this demon without knowing it. We already know, okay, Talon works for Darzan, and somebody in Darzan's family has been killed, and sh- and they are being imitated. But again, it's like, we don't know that we know that. Right. It's it, it it really fucked with my brain rereading those first 10 chapters because I was so confused for like large portions of this book <laughs> the first time through. <laughs> it's because there's so many different names and things happening. Like if they're so dense and now reading back, I'm like, motherfucker, it was there the whole time. <laughs> also, either Darzan or Gadrith says to... Uh, the Manovane that they're torturing. We know who you work for, and I'm s- still not sure who they work for. And I... I'm like, now there's certain things that you know that you pay attention to the first time you read the book, mm-hmm. and then the second time that stuff that you paid attention to can go in the back seat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm gonna be trying to figure out who this Manovane works for the yeah. entire book because I. I, I really want to know. But I will say, like, sometimes some some things in these books just don't matter. Yeah. Like, there, there are characters and things that come and go that don't matter. But there are enough that come back where you're like, well, should I remember this? Yeah. Holding it all in tension in your head is impossible, basically. It's why mm-hmm. there's a glossary. And I... It, it was also funny for me to reread them and be like, shit, I forgot that. But also trying yeah. to project forward... Being like, wait, okay, so they switched this body into this soul, and this is the history that goes back 3,000 years, and I was just like, wait a minute, I do need to read all of these again, because the fourth book is coming, and I just, I'm like, I know I could understand it, there's enough, like, 
she does a really good job of like refreshing you on what's happened. But even mm. even if they come out in absolutely like day by day succession, there will be things that I forget. So, oh yeah, mm. I'm really glad that we're rereading this together because I am also like, yes. wait a minute. Yeah, and hopefully people who are listening to this will get kind of all caught up and and ready for for book four as well. Like you said, these do read incredibly fast. Yeah, like, I mean, some chapters are so short. Like, some chapters are, like, eight pages. Yeah. It's very, like, quick storytelling. I won't lie. This this has been a fun week for me, and I definitely read all of this last night, which was totally doable in the end. I was like, ten chapters, I'm gonna die. Like, no, that's fine. And it's, Josh, you're totally right, it's totally cinematic, and it just, like, moves at such a great, like, clip. Everything ends on a cliffhanger, which is, like, so frustrating when I'm, like, reading before bed. And I'm like, okay, end of this chapter. All right, now end of this chapter. And they're so short. I could just do one more. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. It's crack. I definitely had that problem of, oh, it's way past my bedtime. <laughs> yeah. And the sun is out again. <laughs> <laughs> so, Josh, what yeah. would you say is, like the biggest takeaway this time versus last time it's all the it's all the name drops that like in chapter five they mention because he's talking about Kamezra's appearance and he compares Kamezra to uh the stories of solace and i was like oh my god <laughs> and, and I, I couldn't i could like it's just sort of like you get so many names the first time you read it that it's, you start to it just glazes over. But the second time you read it, you like, I don't know, Kieran is only 15 when we meet him. He's maybe 14 because they talk about his 16th birthday and the time is sort of different between the two storytellers that. It's funny how much Kieran knows about the world and doesn't at the same time. Like, the fact that he knows about Solus, but doesn't know about uh, so much about Manovane. I think that's what... Because I feel like Kieran in books two and three is so different from Kieran in book one. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm taking the most out of uh, this reread. Most of this book is... uh, How did Kieran become the person that he is like it's it you could arguably say the first three quarters of the book are backstory mm-hmm. yep you could honestly say that about the first two books yeah yeah backstory i think i think josh brought this up when we were talking about it before the podcast these are the marvel standalones this is thor and iron man this is all setting yeah. up so that we can finally have ultron and avengers and yeah <laughs> totally which I, I this is a very good way of putting that yeah. like it's and especially because these books are worth the investment in the backstory like i've absolutely read books where like you finally get out of backstory country and you're like this is not worth it but these ones do come together i I mean reading the second book i was starting to get a little frustrated with it and but she did a very good job of like switching it up just as you're getting a little irritated with it all and then moving forward so i do think it's funny how they have this whole chapter featuring uh, Butterbelly, who's the fence. Oh, yeah. Who loves to paint. And Ferris, who is like, 
they have this whole paragraph about how Ferris and Kieran used to be friends. Right. <laughs> something happened and they're not friends anymore. And like none of it matters, really. Yeah. Like uh yeah. it doesn't matter. <laughs> but again, like I think she's she's setting up this expectation of traditional fantasy tropes, and then later it's like, nope. No, it's like, instead of the tramp fantasy trope where your rival is your rival for four books and then you have an emotional yeah. moment either reconciling or murdering them, it's like, no, these are just the people you went to high school with. They literally don't matter. <laughs> yeah. They will not, yeah. yeah. Um, one of my favorite moments for the, on the reread that I just remembered is uh, when Kieran's in the house and he's like, I've never seen a Vane before. And later we learn that Kieran is like three quarters Vane. <laughs> like... Oh yeah. yeah, he's like he's less human than he is Vane. <laughs> Look in the mirror. Yeah, I do like a protagonist that is kind of dumb. Oh, so. Kieran is sweetly dumb. He is. Yeah, like part of it is sheltering, part of it is thinking with his dick, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then part of it is just he's sweetly dumb. I like that they set up the traditional like. But actually, he's a really good guy. He's not sleeping with the prostitutes. He's like, <laughs> sorry, sex workers. He's like yeah. crashing in their room so they can steal to pay for his father's retirement. <laughs> the first time I read this, so they refer to it as as um, the crib. And I thought that he was just like pretending to babysit like some child of one of the sex workers <laughs> and like sleeping literally in her crib to like <laughs> get some shut eye. And then I realized upon reread, it's like, oh no, they just refer to all of their rooms as their cribs. Okay. So some of the colloquialisms are a little this worldy, but yeah. Yeah. I love the idea of like Kieran curled up in a baby's crib with the baby just like sitting on top of him, being like, <laughs> You said you would play with me. What the hell? Yes. <laughs> Wake up. Yeah, he's he's extremely naive in a sweet yeah. like in a very screenwritery way, almost. It's like, how do we establish that this character... It's like, the only thing that he doesn't do is, like, rescue a stray dog. And he might do that <laughs> yeah. later, I forget. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's he, effective. Uh, he it rescues works. that horse, the fire He does! Later. He rescues the yeah. horse, and it ends up being extremely <laughs> important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's classic, like, protagonist, like, a camera into the world, right? Like... Because Kieran is such a sweet dumbass, we get a lot of exposition because he needs to learn things that we need to learn. Yeah, he's he's effectively a dumbass. He's not yeah. like he's not walking into walls, dumbass. Yeah, yeah. He he's not. Too. He's he is not as smart as he thinks he is too. Because again, like he is he has been secretly protected his entire life, and he has no fucking clue. And like, there's a bit where like Serge is like. He's like, I know Ola would never kick us out, but I really wish that she would like make it make it seem like we're gonna get kicked out more because Kieran's getting really cocky. I I had totally forgotten about Ola, but like the whole thing Ola's with the star tears and the necklaces, and it was just like, oh, she's the protagonist of an entirely different book. She's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. you know having so reading this, I almost want like a prequel now, and and um. Certain things that, like, I've been reading in the third book, too, like, they reference a lot of stuff that happens before this. Like, mm-hmm. I kind of want a prequel novel, which maybe we'll get. I mean, I hope that these are, you know, sufficiently successful that we get also the TV show, the tie-in Pop Funkos, and, like, the sweatshirt <laughs> that I'm definitely going to buy. But yes, prequel also. I just want my Chorus of Dragons hoodie, and that's it. 
And we could have on the back podcaster. What what other like problem with the the uh, lackluster covers? I will say, is like there's not a lot of good art for these books. Like I have tried so fucking hard to find like a picture, a, a fan art, uh, some kind of thing of like what Janelle looks like mm-hmm. because she's described so much, and for some reason I always picture her with a bob instead of a mohawk, and it's like. I just need to, I just need like one picture of what this character is supposed to look like and there's like no art anywhere. Like Yeah, I have a hard time picturing art. the 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 lava. F- I just the... picture it like a mohawk basically. But a braided one. I feel like wasn't there at one point wasn't the X-Men franchise didn't Storm have like a big braided mohawk? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I picture. That, that Storm rules. So yeah, I always picture her having like a big uh, mane of hair and then the the lavos like on on top. Oh, I guess that's okay. Yeah, too. I can see that. Yeah, but you're right. We need we need the official art so that I can stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's not a lot of art. Maybe maybe there'll be like special editions or we already know yeah, the paperbacks will be, but <laughs> we can dream. Uh, mm-hmm. Speaking of things that I caught the second time around reading this book, at one point when you know the Brotherhood buys Kieran. And Relos Var sort of confronts them about that. He like gets real close to Kieran and says, I have seen the color of your soul. And the audiobook mm. like reads it really dramatically. And I thought, oh, this is just some flowery threat that he's making. And then you find out literally, oh no, souls have colors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a good I didn't notice that connection either until he was talking to the fence about like no, I can tell what color that is. Like, in, yeah. in the soul world. That's definitely a ruby and you're trying to screw me. Oh, yeah, the, the so, yeah, the way, he, the, the seeing past the first veil. Yeah. And the, is it mm-hmm. Tenye, I think is how it's pronounced? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like spiritual energy that everything has. He finds one of those fucking intaglio ruby rings in that house. Mm-hmm. Where the fuck did that come from? And a necklace. Yeah, which I think I'm assuming is just a regular Sol- Solly, 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 Solly stone. But maybe. But then, but we learn. But so it makes us think that the one that Kieran has is one. We find out later it is very much not. Right. We don't. We don't know. Maybe we do know, but we don't know. Yeah, I'm still waiting for some of the explanations on that. Who that guy was? Yeah, but he it, might not matter at all. The the guy who went to his daughter's wedding. I love it. Yeah, they do say the the Solly stone that he sells is green. Yeah. And then there's a, uh, without spoilers, there's a green gem in book three. That right. The, yeah. Um, the cornerstones. Uh, yeah, we know, actually, we do know about, there's another thing we learn about really early is cornerstones. Kermesra mm. tells Kieran about cornerstones, like, in chapter seven. Yeah, but he doesn't have context for it, so he's like, that's cool, different rock. Yeah, and like, again, he's like, kind of a dumbass. He's like, mm, cool, I got I know that I have fancy rock, I guess there's other fancy rocks out there, like, and she's like, telling him about this, like, fundamental pillar of the universe, and he's like, ah, my head hurts. I'm 15. In, in fairness, his head yeah. does hurt. Yeah. Give me a cookie first, and then I'll yeah. tell you. <laughs> she went hungry. I mean, if I had been sold into slavery, watched friends die, and then, like, 
been sold to an assassin brotherhood, I think I might, I might be reeling a little bit too. I like he's earned a bit of his angst. He's, yeah, I think he even says that. I think he's like, I literally still have the dried blood from being whipped on my back. Like, I this is not my priority right now. Oh, that's the other thing. Reading this again is that those chapters where he's getting sold at the auction house, you don't. The first time you read it, you don't know what he went through in the other storyteller's point of view. And he goes through some shit yeah. in the Demon yeah. house and then yeah. gets sold at a, at a slave auction. You don't know yeah. that the first time. The second time you're like, oh, fuck, he's in, he's horribly he's in a much darker place. Yeah. Yeah, he only seems like he shouldn't be angsty. But then he also is still angsty even after he's been like spending two years in a tropical paradise for in the middle of the book. So eh. yeah, we all went through. He's it. been an angsty boy. I have a hard time criticizing his angst because it does contrast very well with so like the other the other characters around his age who are also like protagonist level are not <laughs> angsty. So like he's yeah. just the emo kid. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. And he's he's never annoying about it. I got like as much as we're like banging on him a little bit now, it's truly it's not annoying. Like it is understandable. And again, like it's a it is a window into learning about the world. Yeah. Where right. he's like, Meh, I don't like this. And then people are like, Well, here's here and here's why it's happening. And he's like, Fine. <laughs> I totally get why he doesn't like it. Yeah. Yeah. He he at least has legitimate things to complain about, as opposed to like I don't know. Some other books that I won't name, because let's let's keep it positive. How about that? <laughs> but Steph, what would you what would you say like the best part of the reread is, other than the footnotes? Because that was a Yeah. Uh I think same as Josh, like the the context mm -hmm. for realizing like how much information we were given about not just this book, but like books two and three in the first ten chapters mm -hmm. and like understanding where that fits in. I I love media that can be understood on different levels when you experience it multiple times. Like like we, we were talking before, like not every movie has to be watched more than once. And I, and I do enjoy movies and books and TV shows where when you watch it multiple times, you get different layers of meaning each time. This book does that really well. And it's like as much as I was like very confused reading it the first time, part of that was just because I was missing a core mechanic of the reading experience. Some books are so dense and irritating. It's because the author is expecting you to read it multiple times. And like, um... Malazan Book of the Fallen. Oh my god. Could not get. No, it's because every book is like a history book and you're expected to read it multiple times to understand it. I was like, no, I don't want to do that. This book, I think, walks that line really well between you can read it the first time, understand what's happening, enjoy it as a, I don't want to say typical, but like as a, as a story where you have a protagonist and they're going through things and there's action and adventure and you learn things as you go. And then you going back the second time, I'm very much enjoying being like foreshadowing, 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 foreshadowing. Like it's, <laughs> it's like, it is a different experience and it's very enjoyable. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I think it, it makes it so much easier that there's no expectation placed on you. 
that this person who's, you know, Gen Lions or or even like the in-world narrators are kind of like, yeah, we get it. There's a lot like. Yeah, it, it's like uh, when you watch Lord of the Rings and you can watch Lord of the Rings and totally enjoy it. But you can also watch Lord of the Rings and watch the scene where Aragorn kicks the helmet and you can be you can do the did you know he bro- broke his toe? And the, that's the, you know, it's that yeah. it's that like it's knowing more about it provides an extra level of enjoyment without making the initial viewing, reading, whatever, uh, not special. And it's also not boring the second time. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's still, because it is so, like, cinematically written and there's so much going on, like, it's, yeah, it's it's not like you're like, ah, I remember this, I remember this, I remember this. Yeah, you don't have to skip anything or... There are no parts of this book where I'm like, yeah, I'm just gonna skip that section. Yeah, yeah. Nothing is skippable because every, like, it's very carefully constructed for everything to matter and everything mm. to provide character detail, too. And things that you didn't think mattered end up mattering a lot by the end. Yeah. And even if they don't matter, they're cool. Like, that's... Yeah. yeah. The other, like, one of the things that I like about Brandon Sanderson novels, which this, you know, the Gen Lines has clearly read Brandon Sanderson, like just added more sex a lot more sex (laughs) she a lot of the action sequences take that sandersonian sort of idea of like okay magic has these rules how do we push Mm. them as far as fucking possible to make the most awesome thing happen at all times and the the mentality of like let's make the most awesome thing happen is great because you you can feel the authors pushing their boundaries at all times it's definitely like yeah. Did you think that blowing up a city was good? Let's blow up more cities. Faster. <laughs> Let's blow up worse. an entire, what's the word? I don't know, magical structure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but she also, like Sanderson, doesn't write herself into a corner where mm. if she, if the rules expand, it doesn't seem like, well, this doesn't make sense. Yeah, there's, there's yeah. a good amount of sense. It's not, it's not one of those, like, intricately constructed Sanderson things where it's like, and this does this. And if you refer to Appendix 4, we'll talk about, like, exactly <laughs> yeah. how many degrees of heat it adds to this concoction. He, yeah, his his magic systems are very, like, physics-based. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Whereas this is, I, yeah, like, we don't know a lot about how magic works, actually, in this world. Like, we know that, certain, you know, we know about Tanya, and we know that some things are difficult or some things are easy. Um, but, uh, yeah, honestly, like, we don't, and we you don't need to. Like, I, like, you don't need to know the mechanics with which Kieran hides the star tier necklace on right. his back right. so that he can steal it. Like, he just does. And that's fine, honestly. Right, because the, the most awesome explained. thing is stealing the money that paid for oh, your God, own right. slavery. Yes. <laughs> so good. Yeah, he got sold. That for, was a good part. He, he was supposedly, yeah, and uh, like, yeah, supposedly sold for a million ords, and it was like two copper bracelets yeah. or something. <laughs> so good. I think the only thing that explained is geishing with uh, some kind of deal they made with the demons. They go into it in this book. We'll yeah, get true. There. Yeah. yeah. I like. And then the whole thing with geishing happens at the end, and so that's out the window. Can I briefly talk about the audiobook version of yeah, the absolutely. case? So the great thing about the audiobook version is that uh, there's three uh, cast members for it. So Thurvishar, Ooh. who just does the footnotes, 
has their own actor. Uh, Talon has their own actress. And Kieran has their own actor. So That's dope. You'll, huh. you'll have Talon telling the story. Then Thurvishar breaks in for the footnote. And then it switches to Kieran. And it it's it's a lot of fun because you'll have uh the the actor uh I'm gonna butcher his name, Feodor Chin, who plays Thervishar. Um he plays Zenyatta in Overwatch. <laughs> uh, and his his like very academic like when you read them, they seem a little snarky, but he's so academic in the delivery that it's just like matter of fact the way he breaks into the uh storytelling with his little oh no, this is how it happened, oh this is, this refers to this, and it's just it makes it a lot of fun because if it was all the same one nar- one narrator, it might be a little bit more confusing, yeah, that would be very hard to follow i feel like if yeah i was wondering how they did that it's like do you interrupt yourself we should talk about uh kieran's encounter with zaltaroth yes because this this sort of like sets him in a motion that lasts at least till through this book and into the next book it's fucked up it is a very emotionally affecting scene very early on which is surprising yeah um you, it's clear that you, if at this point you already care for Kieran, Zaltaroth is genuinely frightening. And also you get oh, yeah. a lot of information about the second book that totally went over my head the first time. Oh my god, like, yeah, like, Zaltaroth is, is a very prominent character in book two. This is the our main introduction to them. Yeah, Zaltaroth feeds Kieran all sorts of horrible images. Um, I mean, the, the writing is disgustingly good like like i mm. love and i hate this sentence uh the stench was beyond description a combination of blood awful and rotted sexual fluids Ew. yeah like that is good. <laughs> it's so literally visceral mm. but it, it, yeah i mean this this chapter does a great job of like introducing uh demons exist uh they can show up in this world they wreak havoc when they do and they are awful like the they they stink of uh, rotted semen, and they love to murder, and they can uh, insert horrible images into your brain. The worst part is not that it's not like Zaltaroth is putting the image in his brain of someone else doing these horrible things. Mm. Uh, Zaltaroth is implanting these images of Kieran doing these things, and then. It traumatizes him for yeah. the majority of the book. Yeah. Because the emotions are in there, too. Like, it's not just images, but, like, you know, Kieran, like, feels himself, like, enjoying raping and murdering oh. everybody he loves. And, um, yeah, it, it messes him up, like, a lot. And it's it gives good voice to a lot of books trade in, like, horrors in order to shock and, like, to, you know, create drama. But it there is very real, like trauma that lingers throughout the books and she's got five books and she actually addresses a lot of it which i appreciate too because it's like you were saying josh earlier is just with the slavery it's like yeah these are facts of life what are you what are you saying about them that's new and fortunately she's saying things about them that are new so that's good they're not just there to make you unhappy although right in Mm -hmm. in these first 10 chapters they they do just make you unhappy (laughs) yeah yeah, and so often monsters are used 
to physically harm your protagonist, while mm-hmm. a lot of the monsters like Talon and Zaltaroth like mentally scar our yeah. protagonist, which is, you know, it's gross, but it's also refreshing in a written way. And I just find it like it's interesting, but also I like this is probably part one of the like hardest things to read is Kieran who you know, as far, except for the thievery, he's kind of a goody two shoes up yeah. to this point. And then he has these images planted in his brain. And then you have that chapter with Talon later that, oh my god, is horrifying. Yeah, there's a, yeah, because there's a bit when he is talking to uh, Mar- Moria, Maria, and she's like kind of getting herself all zhuzhed up to look sexy for him because she's, she thinks he's Ojinri. She she makes a mental note. It's like, how is this kid still innocent that he gets aroused by just titties? Like, <laughs> it's like he's like she's she's like every she says like brothel kid or something like that. Like she's ever known, mere flesh does not work on them anymore, and they need they need darker things. Um, but we established that like Kieran, yeah, Kieran is relatively innocent. He 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 he, he just needs good old fashioned boobies to get get into it. <laughs> And I think Sergi even mentioned something. He's like, I'm blind and I can tell she must be gorgeous because Kieran is like falling over himself. I can hear the drool pulling in his mouth, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he like screws up a performance because he is staring too long. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's and that's the other thing that Kieran does to like establish himself. He like stands up for this girl who A, he's never met before. Mm. And B, who he thinks is super pretty, but like is too too tongue tied to talk to. It's like yeah, it's a very like male protagonist capital letters thing to do. Yeah. It's like and it and, works. It's it's very sweet. Yeah, and like even though he gets really mad at her because he's like, I'm not Ojinre, I'm not royal. Mm-hmm. Like my mom was Doltari. She's he's really mad at her, but like she's still he still like offers to try to find her sister. Right. And yeah, like he yeah. tries really hard throughout the book to try to to rescue the sister. He's very honorable and very Yeah. Like clearly even though he and his uh well now currently his father, Sergia, are kind of at odds, like fighting, they they clearly have a good relationship and it's it's made clear that Sergia did a good job. Yeah. Like he's very neutral good. Like he has a code. He follows his own personal code. Like, yeah, he steals and stuff, but like for his father's retire, I like I can't get over how yeah. oh my god, how utterly good that is. D and D alignment, good. Yeah, there's one part which Thervishar in a footnote is like, did he forget that he has a lot of money? He could just he has a <laughs> lot of money. Why is he not spending it? <laughs> Yeah, he's like so worried about his father's harp. It's like no, our livelihood. It's like, dude, you just made five thousand yeah. dollars. Like, buy a new harp. <laughs> yeah. Just buy a fucking harp. So. Yeah. Uh, do you guys have any more thoughts about first ten chapters of The Root of Kings? I do think it's interesting looking back that Serja knows a bit of magic and he uses yeah. it to summon the bouncer. That I totally forgot about Same. Uh, the first time through. Like you said, how you kind of wish there was a prequel. I want Serja is a character that I kind of want to know. Serja and Ola are two characters yeah. that I definitely want to know more about. Uh, Butterbelly, not so much. 
But no, I'm hoping it'll be a, a Dunkin' Egg sort of equivalent. It's yeah. just like, we're having adventures. Yeah. Because we, after the Zoltaroth thing, we meet who I think we later find out is the fucking Emperor of Kerr. And he's like, oh, you're Serja's son? <laughs> so it's like, Serja and the fucking Emperor know each other somehow. Like, there was clearly some fucking plan for Kieran that never materialized. And yeah, I would love to know what that was. I just want, I want the alternate reality version of uh, Kieran's 16th birthday. How was it supposed to go? Sweet 16! Like, happy birthday! You're the prince! Alright, we're good. Yeah. Okay. You still have to go live with Tharzan, though, so... Emperor Sandus is another character that kind of plays into those uh, usual fantasy tropes. Hmm. He was the peasant that became emperor because he was so good at magic. Like, you know, the, like, the uh the shakespeare the uh sort of not chosen one but sort of the someone coming from low yeah. and rising all the way to the top the, the hero's journey and oh yeah and then we don't really get a lot of sandus no but we really it's, don't. it's clear from all the royals that they all don't like him mostly yeah because he's an everyman uh, yeah yeah i want his i want i yeah i want more i think mm-hmm. That's my my final thought for sure. I just want more. I'm looking forward to reading the next ten chapters, mm-hmm. even though I already read this recently. So. Yeah, and just the way Dang. the books go, it's not like I think, oh, I want more, and I'm not gonna get it. Like part of me is like, the yeah. way these books go, I might get yeah. it. It's really satisfying knowing that, like, no, like it's it's coming. Cool. Yeah, because that's like that's my biggest pet peeve with stories is when they treat the audience like they're stupid. Mm. So I, I I appreciate when I'm I'm treated like I'm a smart reader mm-hmm. and so I'm rewarded for it. Nice. Jen Lyons has maybe too much faith in us. She's like, no, you're gonna remember <laughs> all of this. It's gonna be great. It's like, well it took me a few times, but we got there. <laughs> well that seems that seems like a good place to uh call this one. Josh, what else are you reading right now? Currently, I just finished the new Star Wars book, uh, Star Wars: The High Republic. It's like this whole series that they're starting. It's that supposed sounds to take like place. a stoner Star Wars book. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish that'd be fun too. But it's called uh, "The Light of the Jedi," and it's by Charles Soule, who has written uh, a lot of comic books. And I'll just say briefly that the first hundred pages is some of the best. Jedi stuff that I've read in or seen in Star Wars in a long time. Damn. All right. Is it the first book? Do I have to read anything else before? No, it's the first book. You don't have to read anything else. It has no connection to the Skywalker saga. So it's not like you have to remember it. It's like brand new. It's set, I think, like thousands of years before the movies. So it's just fresh. And it's, uh, that makes it good because you're not like comparing it to mm, yeah. anything else. Oh, Steph, what are you reading? Uh, I am eternally reading The Wheel of Time. Uh, <laughs> well, it's a circle. You just keep going, right? Yeah, yeah. You just like, it's true. Like once I start, I'm like, well, I don't mind reading the first book again. <laughs> but also because I, I run a dumb uh, meme account where I meme every chapter of Wheel of Time. 
Um, and Josh and I are in a very, very loose book club where we talk mm. about it. Uh, but mostly, like, the show's coming out hopefully this year, next year. So I'm uh, I'm up on my wheel of time at all times. Um, but I've been wanting to read a book called uh, Destroying the World to Save It, um, which was recommended to me by a friend of the show, Vincent Kenny. And it's about uh, Om Shinrikyo, the Japanese death cult. Oh my god, I want to read it too. Yeah, they, yeah they, they were the ones that um, carried out the sarin gas attacks in the subway in the 90s. And uh, yeah, he said it's a really good book. Plug for Vince's podcast, Hikiko Mori, which I edit now. Uh, oh, you edit that? Remote? Oh, yeah, no, I Japanese got it. shit. It's all my life. I just started, yeah. Um, yeah, and there's and Om Shinrikyo comes up a lot. I think the Hikiko Mori drinking game would be like drink every time Om Shinrikyo comes up. <laughs> Christina, how about you? I'm looking forward to the new Murakami short story collection that's coming out, because um, I'm obsessed, like a weirdo. But he did Om Shinrikyo uh, interviews with the victims and with some of the perpetrators. Oh. Um, mm, so if you're, um, I think it's called Underground. If you finish that and you like it, this is like a very personal uh, take on... It was, it's just interviews. He He was like this super famous writer in Japan who could get into these people's lives in a way like most private Japanese people wouldn't want to be public. Um, but they're like, oh, well, Murakami-sama is doing it. So. Anyway, uh, what am I reading? I'm reading Hummingbird Salamander, which is the new Jeff Vandermeer. Gosh, if you read Annihilation, um, it's it's a bit... So he, he took a break from the Annihilation, like, dangerous, fast universe of, like, espionage and terror and conspiracy. Um, to do the Born series, not Jason Born, okay. different Born. Oh. <laughs> Born's <Okay>. a bear. <laughs> um, but I'm. This is more espionagey, and I really love it because it's like bio horror. It's like all these. That good. Yeah, it's. And the protagonist is dope. She's like this gigantic woman who used to be a bodybuilder who's like, you know, switching out her SIM cards and guns and trying to save hummingbirds, and it's all like, what am I reading? It's so awesome. Nice, nice. That sounds cool. It is cool. Yes. You can find me on Twitter at Steph O. Kingston, and you can find all the things I do on there, too. You can find me on Twitter and most social medias at 4 of 5 Wits. And you can find me, Christina, at Girl, and you can also find us, as always, on geeklyinc.com. Thank you for listening to No Page Unturned, part of the Geekly Inc. podcast family. If you like the show, please show us some love with a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at No Page Podcast. The show is edited by me, Steph Kingston. Our amazing theme music is by Bad Sparrow, and you can check them out at Bad Sparrow Music. And our cover art is by Chango Chimango, who you can check out on Instagram and Twitter at Chango Chimango.